to Pop the Question, a podcast that exists at the intersection of pop culture and academia. We sit down and talk about our favorite stuff through the lenses of what we do and who we are. From Pannonia Honors College at Drexel University, Dr. Melinda Lewis here. I'm your host. I'm talking today with Hilary Levy Friedman, the author of Here She Is, The Complicated Reign of the Beauty Pageant in America. She's a sociologist at Brown University and has been teaching about beauty pageants in American society. Hi, Hilary. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you about how you came to be interested in pageants, which is through primarily your mother, Miss America 1970, Pamela Eldred, and growing up in and around pageants. What I'm interested, though, is like how you came to go from being around pageants to like wanting to continue to study pageants. Yes. So I grew up around pageants. I never competed myself. And, you know, I found them interesting. And, you know, I didn't fully understand till I was older that that was more of an unusual thing that it was part of my life. When I went away to college, it was shortly after the murder of JonBenet Ramsey, and I discovered sociology. But my project that I ended up doing was why mothers enroll their very young daughters in child beauty pageants. That led me down different paths in graduate school, but I always kept feeling this pull back to answering some of these questions I still had about not only child pageants, but pageantry more generally. And I didn't realize it at the time, but I was probably looking for a way to stay connected to my mom subconsciously. And now, ladies and gentlemen, let us welcome our reigning Miss America, Miss America of 1970, Pamela Ann Eldred. Oh, look at her, look at her, she's our Miss America, the one we waited for. One of the things that I also really liked is that it is clearly well-researched and well-developed, but at the same time, it's also so incredibly accessible. And I'm wondering how you struck that balance between writing and incorporating theory and incorporating your research while also making it really accessible to just people who are interested in pageants. People would sometimes say, oh, what's your ideal audience? And I was like, so it's a Venn diagram of people who read The New Yorker and people who watch The Bachelor. And people were like, oh my gosh, there's no overlap there at all. And I was like, well, there is, in fact. Dominique, you accept this role. Gladly. <laughs> Jamie. Jamie, will you accept this role? Yes, of course. And so that was sort of how I always thought about it. And yes, like obviously people who do pageants just have an innate interest. So I was sort of less concerned about appealing to them per se and more the people who, again, I think anyone who watches The Bachelor just might not think about how that's kind of the new version of Miss America and what Miss America was when it started on TV in the 1950s. And I more wanted to get people to think in a different way about other pop culture things. The stage is empty now, but it's about to be filled with 53 smart, beautiful, and talented young women. Hello, everybody. I'm Chris Harrison. And I'm Brooke Burke Charvet. Brooke, good to be back on this Miss America stage with you again. Always a pleasure to be with you. Let's meet the contestants. You know, of course, Chris Harrison used to host Miss America. He no longer hosts The Bachelor either. But the man who created The Bachelor, Mike Fleiss, actually mm-hmm. judged the Miss America pageant the year that this woman who was Miss Wisconsin won and her crowning pictures became sort of iconic because she wasn't wearing waterproof mascara. So she was crying with these like Tammy Faye Baker, like black streaks down her cheeks. Miss Wisconsin! Oh, yes, 
So anyway, he judged that year and she was Miss America. She had a super interesting platform. Her dad had actually gone to prison on a white collar crime and her platform was about reaching out to kids whose parents had gone to prison. And a year later, they end up getting married. So they met when she competed and he judged her at Miss America. And just a few years ago, it was a big TMZ story because she got pregnant again and he physically attacked her and there was a video and then they ended up reconciling. That's a very strange Miss America connection to me that he judged her, the creator of The Bachelor, and it became a whole other story in its own right. Yeah, there is a lot to unpack in that example alone. <laughs> yes. There's also a lot of that within the book, too, of just really interesting nooks and crannies that you provide throughout the book that are really like nice pockets of insight into these type of stories of like these odd connections or these odd like experiences. Gretchen Carlson is another one that a lot of people knew who she was from being on Fox and Friends. Mm -hmm. And then of course she sues Roger Ailes. And it was like not a thing that she put out there as much that she was a former Miss America, but so many people like didn't know she'd been Miss America until the sexual harassment story. And I always thought that was very interesting. Yeah. In terms of how you're working with pageants now, you talk about how they were rooted in baby beauty pageants and that these baby beauty pageants become an entry point for women moving from the private sphere to the public sphere. Can you talk more about this transition? So P.T. Barnum started a lot of different contests and sometimes they were for chickens and sometimes they were for dogs and sometimes they were for roses. And he was like, well, if I'm going to do it for this other stuff, I should do this for women. And there was a lot of pushback in the 1850s about this. And it was one of the few times he just totally misread the cultural zeitgeist. But afterwards, he started this baby contest, some of which had started in the Midwest, in particular at state fairs. And those really took off. But of course, if you're going to be carrying infants on stage, mothers started presenting them in public to be judged. And this became a way that it was like, okay, for women to be presenting themselves on stage and in public. So in these baby contests becoming so popular, it turned into, oh, some young men went to see the, the young mothers, <laughs> not just the babies. And that helped establish this transformation that women themselves would be able to appear on stage to compete. Do you have a sense of what those early baby pageants were like? Was it very simple? Because I think when we think about pageants, there's so much emphasis at least as it's represented in popular culture on like spectacle and the outfits and the ways in which people are comported. Is that the same way with these early baby beauty pageants? Yeah. So it was way less focused on beauty, right? It was like better baby contests, mm -hmm. healthy babies, it wasn't really until kind of the late 19th century, early 20th century, where we saw baby parades start developing, like on boardwalks in seaside towns, that there was more of this costume and presentation thing. And if you think about how they started in state fairs, it was like similar to presenting like the best pig or the best horse, like who can raise the best baby. Who will be the baby of the year? Look at their roles. Look at their Are they ticklish? Are they jigglish? Can they be tricked? Can they be chucked? Which ones will move? Which ones will talk? But more important, which ones can dance? Oh, who will be baby of the year? 
put the babies away and then slowly start with women's pageants. What's seen as the first swimsuit pageant was in the 1880s, started in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. So, you know, post-Civil War you know, more acceptable for women to be out there in public. And you see over the next sort of 40 years, different towns in Galveston, Texas, you know, things associated with festivals like Mardi Gras, that kind of thing. All of that starts to grow for women. And so in 1920, what ends up becoming the Miss America pageant when they start organizing that and have the first event in 1921, it was all sort of leading up to that particular moment. There she is, Miss America There she is Your ideal The dreams of a million girls Who are more than pretty May come true in Atlantic City For they may turn A large thread of this book is about the significance of opportunities that pageants provide those who participate. Yeah. And I, one of the strands is education and like scholarship opportunities. To me, that gets completely lost when we talk about pageants in like the realm of like popular culture. Like that is not really part of Toddlers and Tierras. Yes. That doesn't show up in Miss Congeniality, really. Oh, I think it does, though, because they're always like, it is not a beauty pageant. It is a scholarship program. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so that's straight from Miss America. Yeah. If we talk about the difference between, like, Miss America and Miss USA, like, it is a major difference that the Miss USA winner gets cash winnings and, and other prizes. And the biggest thing for the Miss America winner is getting this large tuition scholarship. So in the same way that I think those women who competed at Miss America in 1921 were like pioneers in a way, because what woman was going to be out there competing and having your picture taken in a bathing suit. It's also totally out there for women in the 40s and 50s to be like, I'm going to go to college or I'm going to pursue a master's or some other advanced degree. They encourage girls to set a goal and to work towards something. And they encourage them to get an education so they can really contribute to society. And I really think that people should encourage girls like this to go on and, uh, you know, give them the backing they need and give the pageant the backing it needs. Very good. Miss America of 1970, Pam Eldred, our guest today on Dialing for Dollars. So, of course, that's totally changed today, right? Like, go on Instagram. You can find lots of examples of, like, very young girls sometimes, like, wearing <laughs> bikinis and showing lots of skin and that sort of thing. Or, you know, we know that more women go to college, go to law school, go to medical school than men, right? Yeah. So that story has just very much changed. But when you think back to the 20s and the 40s and the 50s, it was quite different. And so I think that's a pretty amazing thing. We talked about surprising connections. It surprises a lot of people to know that Gloria Steinem competed in a pageant in Ohio, where she's from. And she described it as a way for her to get out of small town Ohio. And so I think that's like particularly telling when there just weren't as many opportunities open to women that particularly the women who chose to compete were pushing those boundaries and did open up doors for a lot of others in ways that we don't always recognize. Hey, it's your mom. I have a question about that podcast you do. Are you on the Instagram or the Twitter or the Facebook? You know, like if I have an idea for a podcast, how do I get in touch with you? Love you. Bye. Sup, mom? Uh, yeah. So you can find us on all those things, actually. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Just go to Pop Quest Pod on any one of those and follow. 
If you want to send us ideas, you can either go over to our website and leave us a message at PopQ Podcast, or you can get us directly at PopQ at Drexel.edu. You can actually find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. Um, I can help set it up when I get home, but then you have to promise me to rate and review. All right. Love you. Bye. There are a lot of references to movies and documentaries and, and television shows. I'm wondering for you, like, what are some of the best representations? Like, is there like a text that you're like, this is actually pretty good? And like, what are the worst in terms of representing pageants and like the complexity of pageant life? I mean, I think Miss Congeniality is like not bad in and of itself. Describe your perfect date. It's a tough one. <laughs> I'd have to say April 25th because it's not too hot, not too cold. All you need is a light jacket. One other fictional take that is often overlooked, which is pretty amazing and has an amazing cast is Drop Dead Gorgeous. That's really good. I could talk about Drop Dead Gorgeous forever and ever and ever. (laughs) I'm Tani Curry and uh, I'm signing up for the pageant because of scholarships and all. I run track and uh, I'm the new president of the Lutheran Sisterhood Gun Club. It's legitimately very funny. And I think that it is also a film that is surprisingly clever in its criticism of pageants because it never really makes fun of those who want to participate but it makes fun of like the structural elements right but also the ways in which she was like this is my way out yeah this is how I get out of this small town that's trying to get me I just want to tap dance my way (laughs) out of this yeah I love that movie so much now it is with overwhelming pride that I introduce to you contestant number six, who is also the president of her class, two years running, an honor roll student, and the new president of the Lutheran Sisterhood Gun Club. Ladies and gentlemen, Rebecca Ann Lehman. There's a old HBO documentary, part of the America's Undercover series that's called Living Dolls that I think is phenomenal about child beauty pageants. And we're gonna have to take a few weeks or a couple of months or whatever it takes to get this kid ready to go out in the five-year-old group or we're going to get our butt kicked. <laughs> and that's the way it is. I mean, I, I, you know, toddlers and tiaras, I do not think it is a very nuanced take, like and pretty much any of them, especially when you look at it in the context of it's a very formulaic show and pretty much like all the episodes were very similar in terms of how they were structured. Mm-hmm. There's just not as much nuance. It was one of the most talked about shows of this season. Shake that booty good. Well, baby, they were just warming up. Get ready for the bedazzling premiere event. How is your competition? I don't care about them. Toddlers and tiaras in all new seasons. But I'm, I'm wondering what part of the nuance do you think they miss the most? Oh, well, there's so much. But, you know, a lot of those pageants were staged for TV. They weren't regular events, per se. Mm-hmm. They'd be put together, like, for the recording. The competition has gotten really fierce. What Glitz pageants used to be with the fake tans and the fake hair and the teeth, that's just the baseline now. It wasn't authentic at all in that sense. They don't show all of it, but I know they were trying to get people upset and worked up for like the talking heads after. Yeah. So they were like deliberately trying to egg people on. When you're doing your research and you're interviewing parents and children, What did you find coming through about why they were participating? One thing that was never really covered in the show is like, oh, 
How did you find out about your first pageant you competed in? Tell me that story. I had like a bunch of moms that had done horse shows when they were younger and they drew some parallels, doing cheerleading, doing figure skating, that sort of thing. I spent four years in the military and a lot of my discipline came from there, but I think a lot of it came from my father. He was also military, but he was very, very strict. And when I was younger, uh, we competed in horse shows and I rode jumpers. And in order to do that, you have to be tougher than the horse. You've been doing this research for a really long time. Is there anything that, that came through that really like surprised you? One bit of research that I did, I went to the Smithsonian where this woman, Lenora Slaughter, who sort of made over the pageant in the like 30s and 40s, that's where her papers were held. And so I found a copy of the original letter that she sent to the Miss America Board of Directors. And in it, she like lays out all these reasons why this would be a good thing. But then of course, at the end of the day, it came down to... Oh, and of course, like she'll still want to get married and this will like just help her make a better marriage and like be a better wife. I was like, oh my gosh, it's like this totally feminist argument. And then it's no, no, (laughs) this is actually about getting married. I can tell you this, I'm a great girlfriend and I'm going to be an awesome wife someday. So, yeah. It's like, why do you have to wear a bikini and six inch heels in order to get a scholarship? And yet, like lots of people did it. And that's gone now. And so that does eliminate one of these criticisms. But, you know, there's all kinds of things. I mean, you could point to all kinds of politicians or business people or Olympians, athletes, whatever it is, where you you do a certain thing to reach the larger goal. And so I don't know. It's just what is considered acceptable and what isn't. I don't know what that line is, but it certainly changes over time. Do you foresee a point where we no longer have pageants? I don't think so. I don't think that we'll have Miss America in its current shape forever, or maybe even for that much longer. But I think, again, if you think of The Bachelor and reality TV shows as a form of pageants, I don't see pageants going away. I think that beauty pageant culture is totally embedded in life. You think about Instagram today for younger people um, and what that means. It's very much present. Not only did I tear through this in a matter of days because I was just so compelled, I really appreciated the refusal to further flatten a narrative that has been incredibly like stereotyped to a degree that is unfair. I think that it's worthwhile digging in more deeply about these things. So I appreciate the opportunity to talk about this with you. Well, thanks so much for sitting down with us, Hillary. You're awesome. Thank you. Pop the Question was researched and hosted by Dr. Melinda Lewis. Our theme music and episodes are produced by Brian Kantorik, with additional audio production by Noah Levine. All of this was done under the directorship of Erica Levy-Zellinger, the deanship of Dr. Paula Moranz-Cohen, and the Pannoni Honors College at Drexel University. I know it's important. I do. I honestly do. What are we talking about? Practice, man. What are we talking about? Practice. We're talking about practice, man.